So if you'd like to turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, for the rest of our time. And where, where are we? Well, we're about to hear from Jesus himself in his well-known titled Sermon on the Mount. And what we're looking at particularly is the beginning part, which is known as the Beatitudes. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, I just want to, as we begin, just try and get our heads around how significant this moment is firstly. So that's just what I want to do, just to capture the suspense at this moment as Jesus is about to open his mouth. So where are we in the Bible story? Well, if you wanted to summarize the Old Testament very simply, the Old Testament is basically saying, someone's coming. Someone's coming. He's going to fix this mess. Look for him. Wait for him. He's coming. And Matthew's gospel, the first book in the New Testament, announces he's here. Finally, he's here. And the way Matthew introduces him, son of David. So he's going to be a king. He's going to rule. He's going to banish evil, death, everything you've dreaded. He's going to bring God's good rule as it was always meant to be. That's the first thing. Son of Abraham. He's also the son of Abraham. He's going to bring blessing to the world, just as was promised to Abraham. Your seed is going to bless the whole world. So already this is bigger than Israel now. He's here. His name's Jesus, Matthew says, which means he shall save his people from their sin. That's how he's going to bless the world. He's going to undo the very thing that caused the curse, which is sin. And then Matthew ends chapter one, very on a climax. Oh, he's Emmanuel too. Uh, God with us. He's God. He's here. And then we get to chapter four, which we read earlier, and he begins his ministry now, Jesus. And what does he say? The first thing he says, uh, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's huge. Heaven's here with me, Jesus is saying. It's at hand. You can touch it. The kingdom of heaven is here. Everything you've ever dreamed of is here. Repent, he says. Everything has changed. Therefore, you must change. You must turn around, leave all of that, and come and follow me, basically. That's, that, that's, that's where we're at. It's huge. And I don't know if you noticed in the rest of chapter 4 as we're reading it, he proves it. <laughs> There's great crowds following him. He's healing every sickness, every, every trouble, every torment, every demon. He's proving it. It really is here with him. And by the end of chapter 4, it's like the whole world is following him now. <laughs> Syria. It's huge. Then we get to chapter 5. And do you see it in verse 1? And seeing the multitudes. So he's seeing the, the crowd. Multitudes. Huge number. And what does he do? He goes up on the mountain. Not to get away from them. To speak. He's going to speak. He opens his mouth. Do you see the suspense now? What is he going to say? What's the first thing he's going to deal with? What's he going to announce to us? That's the suspense. And what is the first matter he deals with? If you want to summarize verse 3 to verse 12, what's he dealing with there in these Beatitudes? Essentially, what is a Christian? What is a follower of Jesus? What do they look like? How do you know? Why should you follow him? That's the kind of thing he's dealing with. And why is that so important? Well, it's the one thing in which eternity depends. The answer to this question, heaven and hell depends on that. It's huge. And there was so much confusion at the time. So many people thought they were Christians, but they weren't. In fact, the Pharisees were saying, this is what it is to be a Christian. 
So Jesus needs to set things straight, and that's what he's doing here. And it's going to surprise us, I hope, when we discover what a Christian is. It should shock us as it did them. Now, note as well that he's speaking to both believers and the wider crowd watching on. He's speaking to both at the same time. He's directly addressing his disciples, which you will see in verse 2. He taught them. His disciples came to him. But it's in the hearing of the great crowds. So he's speaking to both, and it means both of us need to know this. If you're a Christian here today, we need to be refreshed and reminded what it is to be a Christian. But then also, if you're not a Christian here today, you need to know, because you should be drawn in by this, I hope, by the end of the sermon. So it's for everyone what we're dealing with today. So I'm going to focus on one verse, which I hinted at earlier, and it's verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So that's what we're dealing with today. But because we're jumping in the middle of that, we're jumping in the middle of his Beatitudes, right? I want to just briefly say what's happened up until now. So verses 3 to 5, what would we have learned about the Christian so far? And I just want to summarize it in two simple things. Firstly, a Christian is the happiest person in the world. That's what you would have learned so far. Why am I saying that? That word blessed. How many times does he repeat it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine times. If you were in the crowd, that's the one word that would jump out at you, surely. Blessed. What does that word mean? It's talking about this deep inner happiness that is not given from the world. You can't find it in the world. It comes from above, from God. Therefore, the world can't take it away from you. And it's unaffected by the world's circumstances. Now, that is what every single person longs for. If you were to summarize the pursuit of every human being, let's imagine all the things that human beings are going after today. Career, success, home, family, good and bad things, you name it. The root of them all is this. I want to be happy. Right? Surely. That's what every human being is looking for. Jesus is saying here, good yeah, it's good to be, want to be happy, but only the Christian is. Only they are blessed. Blessed are those. He's talking about certain people, the Christian. They've found it. Now, pause for a minute. Do you believe that this morning? Do you truly believe that you are the happiest person on earth? You should be. Do you live it? Do I live it? If someone was to look at my life, Are they going to see that about me? Or are they going to see a grumpy, miserable Londoner driving around complaining about everything and they're in my way and, oh, the train's late. Are we truly living as blessed people or am I more miserable? (laughs) What do people see when they look at me? And again, to those of you here who maybe aren't Christian, when you look in at Christianity, is that what you see? Are you drawn into the blessed life? Is that what you think it is? Or is blessing out there in the world? That's the question we're dealing with here. Jesus saying, no. The Christian is. My followers are. Only them. So, that's the first thing. A Christian is the happiest person in the world. But secondly, a Christian is the strangest person in the world. Now, there's many ways Christians are strange. Um, Quiche and slur, maybe, is is on your diet. Uh, The way we dress. Christians are strange. But I'm talking about Jesus' description here which let's look at some of the words he uses. Verse 3, poor in spirit, mourn and meek. 
That's the three things you would have discovered about Christians, and they're strange to our world. Why? What do I mean? Well, poor in spirit. Imagine a poor homeless person who has nothing to their name, and they're completely dependent on others to survive. That's what a Christian has seen about themselves before God. That's what this is saying. And it's saying not just that they're on zero. It's not just that they don't have anything to offer God. It's that they're in minus. They've sinned. They're in debt. That's what a Christian has seen about themselves. Do you see how strange that is to the world? The world would be like, no, I'm actually self-sufficient. I can provide for myself. And if there is a God, he should be quite happy with me. I've got a good heart. I've tried my best. It's the very opposite. Do you see? So that's the first thing. Poor in spirit. Second thing, mourn. They're mourning. Um, They're not mourning because someone died. They're mourning because they're poor in spirit. (laughs) They're mourning over their sin. Do you see how strange that is to the world? The world does anything but mourn. Even at funerals today, they make it happy occasions. They want to avoid mourning at all costs, let alone mourning over your sin. Sin? It's just a bit of fun. If anything, it's a mistake. Don't mourn over it. Just get over it and get on with your life. Strange. To mourn over your sin. Finally, meekness. What is meekness? It's this humble, patient, quiet spirit in someone. I could summarize, summarize it like this. The Greek word, apparently, for meekness is of this wild animal that's been tamed by its owner. That's what's happened to a Christian. They were a wild animal doing what they wanted, stepping here. But then God met them and they're tamed. I think the heart of meekness is surrender. Surrendering to God. Not, your, not my will, but yours is essentially meekness. Again, strange to our world. Our world says, no, me first. I decide. I go where I want. So you've seen, it's very strange what's happened to a Christian. But they're just like Jesus. You go through these Beatitudes. That's our saving. So that's all by way of introduction. And you might ask, how is that blessed? How is that blessed? Jesus gives reason after reason. Just look at the last part of each verse. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. He's given countless reasons why a Christian is blessed. And I wish we could go into them. But because of time, I think we need to move on. And I'm just going to ask one more question before we jump into our verse. You might be thinking, why the Christian? Why them? All they've done is see that they're poor. They've seen their sin. And all they've done, verse 4, is cry about it. That's all a Christian's done. They've just cried about their sin Why are they blessed? They've done nothing. Well, this is where we get to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 6 is where we start to see a direction happening. They've seen their sin. They've mourned over it. But it's all been part of a journey where now they're hungering after something. It's moved them to look for something, to look for food. It's moved them in a direction. Do you see? There's a progression happening here. And what we're going to find is they get fed, essentially. They find what they've been looking for. That is why a Christian is blessed. So let's jump into this verse. And I hope you're going to see today it's the gospel in a verse. If you want to know what the Christian gospel is, it's this verse. So let's break it down into two parts, two points. First point, blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteousness that's the first thing we're doing breaking it into two 
What's this telling us? It's telling us that a Christian has a hunger and a thirst. Now think about that for a minute. Hunger and thirst. When was the last time you were hungry and thirsty? Maybe it's every hour, every half an hour. I don't know. But isn't it the most intense desire you could have? When you're hungry or thirsty, you can't think about anything else. Let's be honest. It's not just intense, it's urgent. If I don't get this, essentially, imagine if I went a week or two weeks or three weeks without this desire being satisfied, I'm going to die. It's life or death we're talking about here. That's hunger and thirst. But this isn't physical hunger. Remember, it's spiritual he's talking about. Or in spirit, verse 3. This is about an empty soul. A hungry, thirsty soul. Now, you might say at this point, how is that different to the world? Because yes, a Christian has a hungry, thirsty soul. How is that different to everyone else? If you were to look out at our world today, what would you see? Hungry, thirsty souls. Let's be honest. When you see people running around, earning money, chasing this, social media, they're hungry. They're looking for something. They have a void, an empty soul within. Everyone has. It's the common human denominator. Everyone has it. So what's the difference with the Christian then? What's the difference? The difference is the food that they're looking for. That's the difference. One thing Jesus focuses on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is the one thing a Christian wants to fill their soul with. They need it. What does it mean? Essentially to be right with God. That's essentially what it means. But we must specify righteousness here because there are different types in this world. There's something called self-righteousness, which means I'm right in my own eyes. I'm satisfied with myself, how I've lived. There's that, and then there's religious righteousness. I'm right in other people's eyes. I care what they think, this group of religious people I'm with. This is God's righteousness that Jesus is talking about. It's bringing God into the picture. Forget what you think about yourself. Forget what others think of you, people. What does God think? That's what this is dealing with. God's righteousness. Jesus will say it later on in the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's righteousness. Now, that means that it's his standard that matters, right? When it's my righteousness, self, it's what I think. This is God's. What's God's standard? Well, we said it with the, with the children's talk. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to know what that looks like, Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Do not lie. Do not steal. We go through them. That's the standard. That's the righteousness that the Christian wants. Is that. But note, it's a perfect righteousness as well. Later on in chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The righteousness of God is perfect. Nothing but perfection will do. That's what a Christian's hungering for. But then there's more. It's a heart righteousness. Why am I emphasizing that? Well, it's a big thing that Jesus is dealing with in the sermon. Do you know at the time of Jesus, there were people called the Pharisees and, and others as well. And all they were concerned about was outer righteousness. What I look like on the outside. How many times I pray. 
my good deeds that I do, my charity. Jesus is saying, no, the heart matters. Let me give you an example. Um, Verse 27 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Do you know, at that point, the Pharisee's like, yep, check that off. Never slept with anyone who's not my wife. But Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He takes it to the heart. Have you lusted? That's the righteousness that God has and looks for. So, do you see that this is what a Christian hungers for? Isn't it overwhelming? You could say, who has this? They're hungering after something they cannot get. But that's the point. They don't have it. They see they don't have it. And that's why they hunger for it. They know they need it. They don't have it. So I'm going to hunger for it. I'm going to thirst for it. And they know also that there's nothing more important because if they don't get it, they die. Just like if you don't get food or drink, you die. But this is eternal death in you. This is perishing in hell. If I don't get this righteousness, I am going to perish forever. It's serious. Now again, do you see how different this is to the world? The world has empty souls too. They share that with us. They're hungering too, yes. But they're hungering for different foods. You name it. Fill the blank. What's the world hungering after? Again, Fame, pleasure, career. I could stand to enlist a hundred things, but never this. <laughs> they will never hunger for this. And even if they look in the right area, let's say righteousness, they're going to stop at self-righteousness or religious righteousness. They're not going to search for this that I've just been explaining. But a Christian, uh, Jesus says a Christian is blessed because they're hungering after this. Why? Because it leads them to actually find it. That's the second part of the verse, second point. They shall be filled. Or, ESV, they shall be satisfied. It's a beautiful word. Satisfied. Ah, filled. Let me picture it in a physical sense. So imagine you're hungry, and uh, there's this beautiful plate in front of you, and it's got your favourite meal on it. What would be yours? Picture it in your head. Mine would be steak, medium rare, Triple cooked chips, vinegar, peppercorn sauce, I'm satisfied. And imagine you eat it and it's just the right amount and you lean back in your chair and you're like, ah, satisfied. Now imagine that for your soul. That's what we're talking about here. That void, that emptiness you've had in your soul all your life. Imagine that filled. It's hard to imagine. Because we've been promised it over and over again and it's never delivered. Um, Think about the times when you thought you were finally going to get it. It was finally going to be filled. That thing I was chasing, I don't know what it was for you. A spouse, a partner, children. uh, That that goal you were going to reach in your career. I don't know what it was. Friends. I finally got the friends I've been looking for my whole life. But it never fills. Even the moment you get it, it doesn't fill. Um, Jim Carrey, I I quote this a lot, and thankfully I'm in a new church now because everyone knows me for quoting this. Jim Carrey said this, I hope that everyone gets everything they ever dreamed of so they can find that it's not the answer. He's basically saying, I reached the top of everything I thought was going to fill me, and it's still not the answer. 
That's the experience of many today. But this, Jesus says, fills. They shall be satisfied. It's promised. And it's such a bold statement that it raises some questions that I'm just going to answer very quickly. Some questions based on this. What does it mean to be satisfied with righteousness? What does that even mean? Well, imagine this. Imagine you're standing before God and everything is seen. Your hidden thoughts, your secrets, that thing that no one else knows, but you do and God does. Everything's on show. Everything. Your whole life. And yet, you are fully accepted. You're filled with righteousness to the point that all your sins are gone. They're not even there. They're not even in view. There's no condemnation. You stand boldly. And you get to be with him forever. He's not casting you away. Eternal life. That's what we're talking about here. Being filled with righteousness. Satisfied. Next question. Why is it righteousness that satisfies an empty soul? We have to ask that because our world, this is the last thing on the world's shopping list for their empty soul. Righteousness? Right with God. That's the last thing I need right now. Why is it righteousness that satisfies? Well, remember, righteousness is relational. It's about you and God. So it's saying that you have been made right with God. That's what your soul was made for. Your soul was made for God. I'm thinking of Augustine's quote, uh, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till we find our rest in you. You were made for this, and it's sin that separated you. Do you know our empty souls began in Genesis 3? When Adam and Eve sinned, and they were cast out of Eden, that's where the empty soul began for the human race. And it's only when you're reunited back with your maker that your soul is filled. That's why this satisfies. Because it brings everything that you've lost, everything that you were made for. More than that, do you know you were made to be like God? You were made in his image. You're never going to be satisfied until you are reflecting his image. That's the purpose for which you exist. So actually, only this can satisfy. Righteousness. Third question then. How did a Christian receive this? Do you know that It's not everyone. This isn't a blanket statement to the world. It's uh, verse 6, blessed are those, a particular people. Christian, the disciples in front of him, in fact. How did they get it? Why the Christian? Remember, there's nothing special about them. They're not righteous. That's why they hunger for it. (laughs) They saw their poor in spirit. Think about the disciples in front of him, the likes of Peter, who says, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. He's the one that's counted here among all the rest. Why the Christian? Remember, scan through verse 3, 4, 5. They've been on a journey. They've, been, they've seen their sin. They've mourned over it. They've hungered after it. Where did their hunger lead them? To the preacher of the sermon. That's how they found it. They literally came to Jesus and said, please have mercy on me forgive me for my sins I've wronged you fill me with your righteousness they believed that he was going to do it and he did then that leads to another question how? because it seems unfair God is supposed to be righteous and holy how can he just pronounce someone righteous just because they cried over their sin that doesn't work if I'm I'm in a court 
and I did a, ma- a, cra- a horrible crime and I cry about it before the judge, is the judge just going to say, yeah, I feel in a good mood today, I love you, so uh, you can go free. No, justice, what happened to that? Well, here's the gospel. This is the beautiful hidden gospel underneath this verse. Jesus, the preacher of this sermon, the one who's saying these words, he lived fully as a man, but he was fully God at the same time. And he was the only person who was actually righteous. The only person. He was the only person who knew God in that way as father. But you follow Matthew's gospel through. Where does he end up? On a cross. And you look at him. What do you see? He looks unrighteous at the moment. He looks like a sinner. In fact, he looks like the worst of sinners because the cross was reserved for the worst of criminals. So you look at him and you're like, he doesn't look very righteous, does he? He's under the judgment of God. It says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's cursed. Why is he there? What's going on? As I explained in the children's talk, he's taking our unrighteousness and punished and condemned so I can be called righteous. That's what's going on. He's in anguish on the cross so I can be satisfied forever. It's beautiful. Love. What, what, what can explain this other than love? What would drive him to do that other than love? I brought nothing to the table. I just cried over my sin. And he gave me this. It's beautiful. It can be summarized in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, he was righteous, to become sin in order that we might be the righteousness of God. That summarizes this verse. That explains this verse that we're looking at today. There was a swap, a trade going on. Now, I just want to note as well two sides to this, and both are true at the same time. On the one side, a Christian is righteous now. They taste it now. They're satisfied now. And that's justification. The big words... (coughs) But it basically means that God has declared a Christian righteous right now because they trusted Christ, the righteous one, even though they still sin. Even though every day they mess up. They are once and for all pronounced righteous. So in one sense, it's true now. But there's a second side. And that, I think, is the main focus here. Because Jesus says in verse 6, For they shall be filled future tense there's a future element to this and it's when the christian is actually made righteous in reality sin has been removed even in its presence they no longer are going to sin when's that going to happen when christ returns but until then it's progressively happening so you have to see both at the same time both are true i'm declared righteous but still i'm a sinner for now but I'm being made righteous. Both are true. And it's so important to see both. And do you see again, all of this came because they asked. That is the ultimate difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The Christians over here, and they're not better than that person. In fact, they likely lived a worse life. Take me, for example. What's the difference between the two? It's that this person saw their need... They cried to God. They asked him to save them. They trusted that Jesus did it for them on the cross. And they've been made righteous. That's the difference. Faith. It's why there's that famous quote. The righteous shall live by faith. It's faith that does it. Faith. 
So I'm going to close now. I want to just speak to, to, to two different people in this room. Christian, and if there's any non-Christians here today, let's just first start with the Christian. I want to ask you two questions. Are you satisfied? You should be. Because you are righteous in Christ. No more condemnation for you. No more fear. It is finished, Jesus Christ on the cross. You should be satisfied. Even though you've failed every day of your life since being a Christian, you've not met that standard that we've set. But you're righteous. You can approach God freely. Are you satisfied with Christ's righteousness? We should be the happiest people on earth. We really should. No wonder Jesus says blessed. We should be. Or are you looking for something else? Is it still not quite enough? Is Christ righteous? It's not enough for you. And I have to do this, this, this. God's still not pleased with me. No. Be satisfied now. He's done it all. But then I have to ask another question. And it's going to sound like a contradiction. Because remember I said there's two things true at once. The second question is, are you still hungry? You should be. Because we're living in this middle phase between Christ's first coming and his second coming. It's called the already, not yet. We're already there, but we're not yet there fully. So that means that actually I should be satisfied on the one hand, but hungry at the same time. What am I hungry for? To be actually righteous in my living. I'm not just satisfied with the, I'm not 100% satisfied with the pronouncement, you're not guilty. I'm satisfied, yes, but I want to live it. I want to live for him. I want to kill sin. I want to put sin to death. I long to be like him. Are you hungry for that? That's the two things going on at once in the Christian. That means, on the one hand, we should see real change in this life. I'm going to share personally. I came into my life with habits, sinful habits, that I thought would never go. And God, in his grace, has removed things that I thought would never go. Sins that I thought would stay with me for the rest of my Christian life. He can do it. It's called sanctification. Being made more like Christ. Are we hungering for that? Because the promise is you shall be filled. That means in the future, yes, you will actually be righteous. Oh, what a, imagine it. Standing before God, not one sinful thought in your mind, Amen. praising Him, happy to be there, so joy filled, overfilled with joy. But until then, we can know it increasingly as well. I think that's really important to have, have both in view here. Jesus says it seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. We're supposed to be seeking His righteousness, even though, in one sense, we have it, two at the same time. But now let's address anyone here who hasn't come to Christ. So good you're here. It's the best place that you can be on a Sunday. Are you hungry for righteousness? Or let's start with the first question, actually. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? Because you shouldn't be, according to this verse. You've tried to fill your soul with everything but righteousness. So you shouldn't be satisfied. And your own won't be enough. I like that on this clock, I see a sign that says time is short. I think the preacher needs to remember that, that there is an urgency to this message. And I don't know how long you will be on this earth. I don't know if today is your last day and God has sent me as the preacher to warn you. I don't know. But all I know is that there will be a final day 
where Christ will return. And nothing but his perfect righteousness will do on that day. So if you don't have that now, you need it. Your own righteousness will not do. No matter what you say on that day, will not do. Nothing but God's righteousness. So my second question for you is, are you hungry for this? If you are, thank God. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I know I'm a sinner. I feel my guilt. I'm ashamed. And I'm afraid of that day. Thank God. It doesn't feel nice. I'm not saying it feels nice. But it's God working in you so that you can hunger after that righteousness that he is going to give to you freely. It's going to move you to ask. That's why it's good that you have that hunger if you do. And all you have to do is take this promise of this verse and bring it to God. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm hungering right now. And you promised that you were going to fill the person with righteousness. Will you fill me? I saw what you did on the cross, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. You will know it. And actually, don't rest until you know it. Don't rest until you have that peace that your sins have been washed away and that you are righteous and you're ready to face him on that final day. Don't rest until you have that peace because you will find it. God says you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm going to close with one verse from Jesus which hopefully captures this. It's in John 6. You don't have to turn to it if you don't want to, but it's John 6. And he says, hear these words. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Praise the Lord.